Welcome to Teacher Zion Podcast. So this is Doug Hatton, uh, Teacher in Zion Podcast, and I'm here again with Lauren and Katie. Uh, and uh, so we're coming back, and Lauren, you want to kind of talk about where did we, we leave off last time anyway? Well, again, thank you for having us back. Um, <laughs> <My honor>. um, <laughs> the, the first time we went through part one, if you haven't watched it, definitely recommend. We really talked about um, our beginning, our background, what we noticed, and the need, expressing the need for personal relationship with him. Um, and realizing how much that's necessary for everyone to have and um, really thought it was important to get into how do you do that you know because I wasn't necessarily given the blueprints or the how I was told the the what but not the how and um, I've always found the how missing and always had these questions of how do we do this you know what does this look like how do we what's the steps um, and so I didn't want to leave that missing and just say, hey, this is what needs to happen and do the same old thing again. Definitely wanted to get into the how and that being from personal experience, not necessarily it being a finite, it has to be this way because it's not. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like what Paul said. There are diversity of gifts and different ways of different administrations and different ways that the gifts happen, but they're all the same Lord, the same mm -hmm. spirit. I would say that's probably one of the one of the many big things that we need to learn in the restoration is not everything that the Lord does is always done exact same way. I mean, look at how Jesus healed. So how do you heal? Well, you go look in the scriptures and there's a whole lot of different ways that he is healing, very mm -hmm. creative, different ways, you know. Uh, one of my favorite things I realized in the scriptures was there was two different men who couldn't speak. They were mute. And in one of them, he healed the, the mute. And in the other, he cast out a spirit. And then the guy was able to speak. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, is a diversity of different ways things are done. And also shows that he knew what the root problem really was right. by the spirit and knew what to do. And so when we just have everything laid out for us, it's very rote. And this is the way we do all things. You're not equipped. I mean, I don't care who you are, you're not properly equipped to handle what's coming. And uh, so in the age that's coming and with everything the adversary is going to throw at us and the great war that is happening and the great harvest and all the beautiful things and maybe scary things, um, we need to be really in tune with the spirit. We need to really uh, be following that. And so how do we do that? Because just following our traditions, going to church every Sunday, singing some hymns some people call it a hymn sandwich you do you do this you have a hymn <laughs> and you do this have a hymn you know we go through these routines how does that prepare you for when someone comes in with a devil it doesn't it means that you send them away <laughs> yeah um yeah it it's an embarrassing someone's it's an embarrassment for someone potentially or mm -hmm. it, it's it's awkward like well get that person out of here they're behaving strange. Well, also, it's a, I don't want their darkness to come onto me, too, because I, yeah. don't, I don't know how to deal with it and help that person. How, I don't even know how to help myself, perhaps. But, that, I mean, the relationship with God is part of the mystery. We, it's, it's a mystery, and the scriptures intentionally leave it very vague because yeah. we really want to 
have this checklist of this is how this is done and this is how you know you can be right and God is this mystery for us to discover and to pursue always because then if we have this checklist then we're not really encouraged to pursue him so there was a there was a letter that went out to a bunch of priesthood men in the restoration independent branches and something to the effect of and I, I saw it um, Come on, men, we have all the authority and we have the keys and we just need to stand up and do our thing and, you know, and remember that we have this authority. And so my question is, though, if we have authority, if we're the ones with all authority and we have the keys and we don't know how to deal with a person that comes into our congregation who's possessed, how is that possible? I mean, something is something is missing, right? And literally, that's that's just one example. That's not the only example of where, when things like that happen, the church has no clue how to handle them, it would appear. And so for most people I know that have had demonic or spiritual problems, they've had to go outside of the church. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, my friend Gary Stevens, he had to go outside of the church years ago so that he could get free. And then he helped me. Um, and I had to do the same. We had to, in fact, I had to buy some books and read some things outside the restoration. And even though they weren't perfect, uh, the Lord showed me by a dream that even though they were imperfect nuggets of gems of truth that were not perfectly polished and they were awkward and maybe need some ends chiseled here and there, they worked. In the dream, it worked. It was enough of the truth that the Lord could refine it. And so that's where we are. We're we're in this position, and I would hope as the, the Lord has been breaking us down, I would say for almost 40 years now, he's been breaking us down, trying to humble us so we will acknowledge that we don't have it all and look to him. But if we would just be humble enough to learn from others, maybe not even outside the restoration. I mean, that's right. I mean, it's yeah. a little scary, but sometimes you have to. Yeah. And then the Lord can refine that. If there's some problem, you know, other Christians or other churches aren't the only ones with erroneous ideas. I think definitely we are as well. Well, that goes back to there's only two churches. Yes. You know, so just because they're from a different denomination doesn't mean that they don't carry Christ within them. And so why can't we learn from each other? I think that's been a huge stumbling block of the church is not seeing other you know christians as fellow brothers and sisters in christ yeah. it's oh mm, you guys are christians but you don't have the authority and i don't think you really have god's spirit in you and it's like who are you to say who does or doesn't have god's spirit in them or you know it's just honestly hurtful like we haven't been loving people at all and that's the problem like what you were saying with someone coming in that's possessed we're not loving them we're just casting them out that and that's not what jesus would do and that's what's hurtful yeah but with everything you're saying and i've heard you say this so many times i myself have said this um it's the fact of don't take my word for it mm -hmm. i'm simply expressing to you what god revealed in my life that was personal to me and i'm sharing that as my testimony but don't take my testimony as scripture. Um, don't take my words as 
just Bible, I guess that that would be the best way is, is mm-hmm. God's true word. Seek it out for yourself. And it's the same thing when we go outside of um, restoration or go to other God-fearing, God-loving people. But then it's how do we have that discernment, right? Because it can be very scary. You know, I myself have faced that, you know, and God brought me through and it was a beautiful journey. It was rough, but it was beautiful. And just being able to to get what I had and what Christ, um, he, he humbled me in that process. But how do, how do we have that? And it starts with understanding his word. And we've heard this a lot of read your scriptures, read your scriptures. And it's, you can read your scriptures. I did this. I read my scriptures a, a lot, but I'm still like, I don't understand. Like I didn't understand timeline. I didn't understand symbology of the different things. And I was so caught up with the language that I didn't get the meaning behind it. Not only that, but then to be able to understand like Hebrew poetry, why they wrote it the way they did and what they were trying to convey. There's beauty in that. And so I saw all these people that were like, understanding the symbology behind them like how do you get there not by human wisdom right for sure Uh, there's a great line in the book of mormon where he says we came to a point where we understood prophecy and all that that they were they were reading and they said uh but prophecy is hard to understand and literally is talking about the words of isaiah at one point he says it's hard to understand the sayings of isaiah Mm -hmm. i mean literally this is what's being said in the book of mormon he says you have to have the spirit of prophecy you have to have the spirit of revelation in order to understand the prophets mm-hmm. and like well that's so we get back to the spirit again and something we were talking about just before we went live i guess we're not technically live but before we started recording <laughs> here uh we were talking about you know the fact that all of us are given a spirit of truth mm-hmm. you know the book of mormon says every man it doesn't say just those who got baptized every man has and that means women as well every human being has the spirit of christ in them we were born with a measure of his spirit even before the baptism of the holy spirit and that that spirit of christ that is given that measure it says leads us to know what is right and what is wrong and so in all these things um we can feel deep down inside almost in a subconscious way when something isn't right and i think that surely that is happening with many in the restoration Mm -hmm. we don't know what and my my feeling this is my gut instinct is that um there's an insecurity that if we explore that it's dangerous Mm -hmm. because something is saying that something isn't right it's been not right for a lot a lot of time a long time now but what would that mean would that mean that the book of mormon is wrong that joseph smith wasn't a prophet or what does this mean and where would it lead to and we're sometimes terrified to explore that but what i've learned is that um, we don't need to be afraid fear is of the devil it's the opposite of faith and i have learned that the more i question the stronger my faith is has become if you're questioning to learn from god if you're questioning to find out for sure the truth and if you don't want to believe any lies if you want to know the absolute truth he will tell you and it's only strengthened my faith so um so katie let's start with you so what i know you're not probably prepared for this exactly but what doesn't work for you or didn't work for you in the restoration as it is presently and i know we're all from our lds background so Mm -hmm. we can only really talk from that kind of a perspective but what isn't working what is it you desire 
that's been missing and you know kind of as we start to move towards that what is the solution and what does that look like well i would say and i guess i mentioned this kind of on our first podcast but going to church and realizing everything is planned out and we also no one it didn't seem like any of us knew who god was it seemed like he's just this god in the sky that's so far away from us and he's not really going to be with us and he's only going to bless the priesthood the rest of us are just there to receive word of the lord from the priesthood and the organized way they've decided to do the service that day and i just always knew in my spirit that there was something so wrong with pre-planning that somehow i knew god was not pleased with that and the hard part for me was I knew something wasn't right, but if you mention it to someone, they're like, well, that's just the way we do it. Um, be quiet. Um, we don't know what you're talking about. Or maybe we do, but we don't want to admit that we do. And just really feeling the oppression of sitting in the pews and being talked down to. And like having someone up in authority on the you know pulpit and preaching at you and I tell you nine times out of ten I would leave church feeling super guilty like oh man I messed up big time like God isn't pleased with me I'm I am not in favor of God like I've really messed up and everything in the world is my fault because like all the bad things and you're like yeah I have no idea what to do with any of this, but I feel really depressed right now, and I have no desire to go back there. Because of you, Katie, we don't have Zion. I know. That's, that's I, I know. From, that's what I got from the last sermon, anyway. Re- Revelation. <laughs> I know. It's all my fault. And I'm just like, I can't bear that weight, so I'm going to not think about it, because I don't even know what I did wrong to begin with. Well, and speaking honestly, you're not the only one who went home. I definitely went home and felt that same way. Well, I need to get my act together. So it wasn't, we, we joke, but I mean, it, it wasn't just us either. There were so mm-hmm. many who went home and it's like, man, I'm, I'm condemned and I've condemned the world. But here's yeah. the problem. What? <laughs> so, I, sure, I think we are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, we all have to change, right? But the thing is... In what way? I mean, we're just spinning our wheels. We're running around in circles because it's like, it's like, well, you, you just need to love each other more. How? You know, it's like you want us to love each other more, but our own leadership in priesthood many times has spearheaded the effort to condemn other churches, other congregations, other church organizations, other certain individuals because either they're doing something where they're not doing something, or they think a little bit differently on whatever it is. And even though we believe like 99% the same on everything else, we're gonna, those people are of the devil in a sense. Even yes. if we don't say that, it's, it's sort of like, well, they're, they're just off, we need to stay away from them. Uh, apostates, literally, uh, like our church, our organization that I'm part of since I was 18 years old, I've known, we've been apostates since I joined the church. The rest of the restoration is like, they're apostates, why? Because we organize. Then those same people that had uh, basically called us apostates because that uh, eventually organized in some way, shape. But there's a lot of organizations that's happened or the semi-organizations or whatever. And then, you know, well, we had 70, so that was bad. And maybe those things were wrong. But is that enough 
because you organize in some fashion or you ordain someone to some office, does that mean you're cut off from the presence of God? Does this mean you're no longer a restorationist? Does this mean, you know, it's kind of crazy. And so we're all supposed to love each other so we can have Zion. And yet we're also specifically being divided out. And you mentioned that it's like a guilt sermon or whatever, but mm-hmm. by the same token, just as someone who's been in the quote priesthood, um, they're, they're as confused as the rest of us. They've Which got the same. so interesting. No, that's, I'm just going to tell you this because look, it's whether they admit it or not, no one, no one knows exactly what we're missing. They know we're missing something and they maybe have some ideas, but it's all guesswork really, because nothing's really fully working. Some things work better and some things definitely don't work. Well, to, to speak to that too, of the whole thing of maybe there's a bit of a facade going on of, I have to know the answers. Therefore I will say I know the answers. You're expected to. What an oppression. That's a burden to, to bear. That's not needed. Mm-hmm. Look, you get called in the priesthood and they ordain you. And the next thing you know, you're on a schedule. Oh. And you're supposed to have a word from the Lord or something to direct God's people. Like, you don't, I'm here to tell you, because someone in quote unquote authority puts their hands on you and pronounces something on you, you don't suddenly have all knowledge and understanding. It, but it's treated like that. Like, as soon mm-hmm. as you were ordained, you pass through the veil. And then you are, the mysteries of the kingdom are revealed to you, and now you're supposed to present that to us. But we know the Book of Mormon is true. Like, we know yeah. the Book of Mormon, there's certain things we just know or feel is true or whatever, and some of it may not be true or whatever, but some things are definitely true. And, but why are we in the position that we're in? And there's, there's the rub. As a priesthood member, I can tell you, it's sort of like, why are we in this condition? Well, how come we're not going anywhere? You've, you're supposed to have the answers. As a priesthood member, you're supposed to go to the Lord and you're supposed to be able to have those answers. And yet here we are. So I feel that pressure. And I I, I have, I guess, I, I consider that when I'm looking at priesthood out there who are trying to lead. And even if they're leading badly, it's been put upon them. The expectation is, well, you're supposed to lead us. When I was ordained, literally I had people look at me like, well, you're supposed to be leading us. So... You know, you let us know what we're supposed to be doing and whatever. And it's sort of like, (laughs) well, I think we're all need a little help from the Lord. And maybe if we just stop and admitted that we need that help, maybe then we would receive that help. That's why. Well, and one thing I've noticed, too, is when things go wrong in church, when do the priesthood, the leaders ever seek out the rest of the body for solutions? It's always, we have to have all the answers and everyone's going to do whatever we say and decide on. And it's like, what about non-priesthood and women and children? What about their voices? Maybe they have ideas. Oh, but they've been oppressed so long. They're scared to speak because they've been shut down. Like, oh, be quiet, Mm -hmm. Katie. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything. Just, you know, just just sit in your chair. And it's like, okay. I really have no desire to go to church now. I will, and I don't know who God is and church isn't safe. So I'm just lost now because what is all this? I have no idea. And, and God is grieved in all of this because we are not performing as a church the way he wants us to. And realizing we have to make changes. We can't just keep, well, I mean, technically you can, but 
at some point, if you truly love God and you want to make changes, then you will. And you'll, mm-hmm. you'll start asking God, like, how do I do this? Um, how can I be closer to you and have true worship with people? How do we get outside of the system that's been created for us? Because I know it's not right, but I also don't know how to fix it. And I think one of your podcasts really just showed me that there really isn't any fixing that system. Mm. Like it was broken from day one and it's still broken today for a reason. He has never restored the system because it was never true to begin with. And so why is it continuing to split and fail? Because it was never right. God never wanted that for us. What if there never was supposed to be a system? That's what I mean. What if there's just principles that are in the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the the only system is there's no system. It is that you have to have His Spirit, and He leads you out understanding. He guides you in all things, and you either have His Spirit or you don't have His Spirit. And if we don't have His Spirit, if if we're using our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own thoughts, you know, we're just trying to get some inspiration. But still, we're mostly, you know, what, 80 or 90% going off of whatever we come up with up here or wherever. And then on top of that, even those, if we have good thoughts and we have good ideas, they are tampered a bit by all the tradition and the false traditions also that we've been taught that we're in bondage to. And so you're, I really have found that the Lord is limited sometimes and how he can break through with individuals and he does find ways to break through with individuals but i have found with my own self that and he showed it to me that he's limited sometimes because of certain traditions and ideas i already have i'm predisposed to believe a certain way for him to get outside of that without violating my agency he's got to lead me you know and it sometimes takes time he has to give me that grace so I told you guys I, I might surprise you with some questions. Well, before you do that, can you hang on to that for yeah, a moment? Because sure I'd love to go on a journey, this journey, because we talked about the what if. What if there's no rules? What if there's no, no, you know, one, two, three step? Sure. What if it's just follow the spirit? There comes a lot of fear with that of, well, then how do you stop somebody who's... Um, was going off and they really are not led by the spirit, but they think they're led by the spirit. How do you, you this, know, that, not, that doesn't happen right now. Well, let's go, let's, go on, <laughs> let's go on the journey here for a moment. But then like, how, how do you address that person? Mm-hmm. But it's the fact of the fear of what if I say something wrong and that person saying, well, what if they say something wrong? How am I supposed to address them? Right. It's this, what if, what if, what if, and mm-hmm. it's the fears but the scriptures lays it out and ultimately it comes back to we need to be understanding scripture um and so that thing of what if i get it wrong well then that's where the body edifies itself Mm -hmm. and that's why uh, that's why we need each other because we're not always going to get it right but it gives us time to grow and then how does that person respond when you're not in the spirit with love it goes back to the commandments to love that person and so those answers are right there but it comes back to the ministry and just to quickly address the question of what isn't working um, that you had asked Katie earlier. It was the fact of this thing of not knowing, of saying, if you don't know, come to the leadership and ask the questions. The leadership doesn't necessarily always know. And there's that fear. But if you start questioning things, you have to come to the leadership instead of the scriptures. And those people that take it the other way and go to scriptures and then bring it to leadership and point this out 
oftentimes are then chastised for how dare you do this. It's our way of doing things and no, you must just be wrong because you didn't do scripture right. Yeah. And so I asked God to help me understand scripture. And there were a few tools that I was grateful to receive. And I would love if we have time to at least get into that a little bit. But I am curious about the questions you have throwing out there. (laughs) Well, um, so, and I just want to also address kind of what you're touching on here. So, you know, we have in the the Book of Mormon a very famous sequence. Uh, it was a dream that Lehi had and then Nephi had it as well, trying to understand it was a rod of iron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, you know, this has been a big thing. In my church, it was a big thing. I think this has been a big thing, especially with restorationists or a conservative brand of restoration that comes out definitely. We need to cling to the rod of iron. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Now, the problem is, how do we interpret scripture? And so a rod of iron is what? It's the word of God. Mm-hmm. So does that mean only scripture? Written scripture. It didn't say written scripture. It says it's the word of God. Mm-hmm. So what I've seen is one of the, the problems that we've run into, and I ran into this myself, is that, you know, Paul said, I think it was Paul said, the letter kills and the spirit gives life. So if you go to the letter of the word, but you don't have the spirit, it can kill. And I've seen it kill. Mm-hmm. I've seen us execute other people, basically, mm-hmm. spiritually. Uh, cast them out, label them apostates, write them off, and basically kill their spirit, kill their ministry, um, write them off, stone them to death with words. And all because of how we have harshly interpreted a bit of scripture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was a big one for me was recognizing that, yes, the word of God need to cling to it. And that begins with the written word, but without the Holy Spirit, you're, you're going to be in trouble because mm-hmm. every religion, how many different types of Christian Christianity is out there and all the cults and all the just terrible things. And they have the Bible, right? And but they interpret these things in many different ways. So. And you'll forgive me for not clarifying because that's exactly what I mean. Yes. When I say go get into the word, I'm saying go with faith that God's going to meet you there. Yeah. And he's a good father and he's a loving father. And that he's going to help you understand that if you come with that sincere heart of I want to know you. I want to hear your word. I want to understand. I want to grow better and be better and do better. Yeah. And so that's part of it when I say it. It's a it's an all-encompassing thing. A balance. Yeah. It, it is a balance, yeah. definitely. So when we talk about well, going by the Spirit, people get really nervous. you know. And what they're picturing is people doing whatever they think is right. But that's not going by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have that balance. My, my question I was having, I had to have something to do with what Katie was saying and touching on is, you know, and what you're saying now about you know, we're taught to go to somebody mm-hmm. and go to the leadership, go to the priesthood mm-hmm. um, many times when we have questions. And so, and some priesthood will teach you like, well, search it out, you know, and all that. But the thing is, what if the Holy Spirit tells you something different than what they got? And there's, there's the rub. So mm-hmm. then you may be encouraged to get your own answers. And this happens, I know, in the LDS church. Lots of people have this where they're encouraged to search it out. But then if they get an answer that's different than what the church teaches, like, well, then you need to follow the counsel of the, you know, the priesthood or whatever. But the question I had was this, and this is, I don't want to, yes, I do mean to put you on the spot. I was going to say, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but yeah, I kind of am. 
So, in your experience, <laughs> starting with you, and then, I was very looking and at then me. I'm going to ask you. No. Yeah, I'm going to start with you, and then I'm going to go to you. Okay. Um, and this is not about any particular person or persons or any particular congregation, but just in all of your experience in the church over the years, how many priesthood have you known who walk in the spirit of prophecy or revelation? Personally, mm-hmm. um, I can't think of, I mean, where it was apparent. There was like some that would speak with God's spirit and it was mm-hmm. powerful, but I'm not sure that it was ever a prophecy. Um, definitely words of the Lord from time to time, but it was very rare. Mm-hmm. Only a handful of times, but mostly it was just, let's read from scripture and my interpretation of this and um, talk about Zion again. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about you? Where it, and I'm not, you know, we're not trying to judge anyone, but I'm saying just overall, as you've, you know, we've all sat in front of many priesthood, have done various services and preached and presided and whatever that it was readily apparent where you knew and the Holy Spirit impressed upon you. This person has a spirit of revelation. The spirit has, you know, gift of prophecy. Um. I don't necessarily know if I've personally experienced that myself. I've heard other people say, well, this man is, reminds me of, name anybody from the past, Arthur Oakman or mm-hmm. this person. And they, they have a similar ministry or they're like this person. And so... I've heard whomever saying that talk of these people such as Arthur Oakman and the wonderful things and all of these wonderful, just extraordinary things that have come from it, not never, not having experienced it myself. And so I almost come with great expectations where I'm like, oh, this person has ministry like that. So then I come and then I'm like waiting and waiting and waiting for that reading having read in the scriptures what these amazing glorious things have happened in in scripture and then kind of compare it to what i'm seeing and it's like and then it's over and mm-hmm. um, so i i think that would a uh, very vague <laughs> description of what i'm saying but um i don't have a time where i recall having witnessed that but i have a time where my expectations were set that that person was going to do this great and wonderful thing that because mm-hmm. they have in the past or they act like so and so who's very lifted up and admired and all that stuff from the past um, but then i never really personally experienced that what about just members of the congregation Have you ever come across and done whether with their men or women or whatever they're not part of the priesthood Ever run across anyone who had a gifting like that, or not that they openly shared? Okay, maybe maybe moments, but it was still more reserved. Like you're saying, not openly shared because of you're worried for the repercussions of it. And so, I wouldn't say personally experienced. I can't I can't think of anything. Of course, this mm-hmm. is being put on the spot, so nothing's coming to mind. Okay, yeah, I'm just curious. I mean. You know, so, you know, Apostle Paul said the greatest of the gifts, that the ones that we would really should look for is prophecy. He said mm-hmm. above all prophecy. You know, so Revelation prophecy, it just seems very important to the church. I mean, it was part of, I mean, it was kind of the big deal was like, oh, we have a prophet, you know. Mm-hmm. The problem is the church was supposed to have prophets, plural, and do we? 
Well, I'll say this, that when we say somebody prophesies, they're saying if we don't get our act together, bad things are going to happen. And that was considered prophecy. But I'm like, that's but not... stating the obvious. You're stating the obvious. <laughs> you're stating... What the scriptures say, yeah. It's like anything in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, um, it's going to be like if you act a certain way, you're going to get a certain result mm. type thing is generalized, except for life happens. So yeah. I wouldn't say we've been given prophecy. I've, I've say, I'll say that I've witnessed what some people would consider prophecy, but mm -hmm. it's always been, if we don't get our act together, then X, Y, Z is going to happen. I'm like, well, anybody could come to that conclusion. That's not necessarily, um, revealing mysteries. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So if that, if it were that gift were to come forward from a non-priesthood member, how do you think that's generally received in the restoration? Well, when would they have time to bring that forward? That's a good point. Is well, that opportunity ever given? Um, it would be, let's have a private priesthood meeting. Okay. And then, you know, maybe they'll sit and listen and maybe they'll pray and discern over it and... I, I've personally never seen that where they're like, oh, you know, sister or brother that's not priesthood, you know, so-and-so said this mm -hmm. of the Lord. No. I've actually witnessed some of these things, and then I've witnessed the, whoever's presiding or some of the priesthood shut them down or take them aside mm -hmm. or rebuke whatever they've said, kind of do the contrary to it. Um, I've witnessed that. Do you think, do you think a presider or someone in priesthood is would be just as a human being potentially terrified of someone standing up and speaking supposedly a word from the Lord uh, and let's say it's a woman you know it's, it's someone not from the priesthood um, do you think I mean I'm just trying to think you know the you have this burden of responsibility has been placed on you as priesthood to make to ensure that things are going according as they ought to. And if you don't yourself have the gift of prophecy or the gift of revelation and someone speaks up, um, unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with discernment and understanding, I mean, I can understand how that might be a terrifying thing. Well, I would say that in a lot of cases, it's the going back to the same thing as priesthood, you're expected to know everything. You're expected to have the answers. You're essentially expected to operate as God. You're you're supposed to be able to have all discerning, mm -hmm. all knowledge, all gifts, all talents. You're expected to have that in that moment. Not always, but when you're presiding, you're expected to have that always. But do they? That's that's the question. So I'll confess, I don't. I do not always. And there's times when I I have the Spirit with me, and I'm in tune. And the Lord has given me knowledge about what is happening and why and what I need to know about it. And sometimes I'm not always in tune. I'm a human being, but just because I've been put on a schedule doesn't mean I'm automatically in tune with the spirit. Mm -hmm. And even as a priesthood member, has anyone been taught or trained, equipped as Ephesians talks about to do that? How do you have discernment? Has a priesthood ever had to go through classes or be taught by a mentor to understand how to have discernment. They're just expected to have discernment. And it's not that God can't teach us, but 
I really feel like sometimes on the way, you know, we used to feel a moment of pride. I, it was a it was a touchstone of pride, I think, that other churches, people went to seminary and got an education on how to be a minister. Yeah. And we don't do that because uh, God calls whom he will and then he can teach them. And that's true. But by the same token, to just simply put you on the schedule. Right. And now somehow you are supposed to gain all wisdom and understanding and a knowledge of what the scriptures mean, how to interpret them. You somehow have his spirit. You have discernment. You have word of knowledge. You have word of word. No, it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by osmosis, you know, and to then we propel men into this position of, well, you just need to you need to do those things. And so it's fake it if you have to, you know, fake it till you make it. I mean, and then how far do it's not everyone's going to get real far on that without mentorship you know without examples and people that can teach us so yeah i'm just concerned about all that i, th I think about that how are we going to go anywhere without the gift of prophecy for example and we know that the lord is going to bring that forth how are we going to handle that what does that look like you know and how do people who have been taught that they have to hold tightly the reins how do we let go of that this is, I mean, how do we get where we need to go? Will we truly let the Holy Spirit preside instead of a person Well, this, this is part of the where I think it needs to start. It's the working and the gifts, right? It's the pursuing that. Like you had mentioned, there was some of that pride or that thing of, of well, we must be the one true church because we have divine inspiration, that we don't have to go to seminary to learn these things that God will miraculously mysteriously reveal these things to us and therefore that's our confirmation it's from the spirit instead of saying god i want to learn healing the gift of healing i want to practice this i want to seek you in this i would love to pursue this and i'm going to move out in faith that you will reveal and teach and work with me and meet me where i'm at in this um, and I don't think that that is received very well when you say, I don't have this gift, but I'm going to practice, essentially. I'm going to, I'm willing to get it wrong. I'm willing to fail because in failure, there's learning. The only failure there is is to quit or to say, well, I don't have this gift. And therefore, because I was able to operate in this way, I know it's from God and having that assurity. We need to grow up. I think the message should be given that we each individually need our relationship with God with no in-between. Mm -hmm. We have a direct line of communication with him, and he speaks to all as he will, as we receive it, as we understand him. And so I would say the leadership can begin to relax because... If everyone has their own personal relationship with God, then he's going to lead them through his spirit of what's true and what's not true. And hey, if someone stands up and clearly everyone's aware, like this person is not, does not have God's spirit with them, how about go up to them after the service and say, you know, brother or sister, I love you. I'm going to be praying for you. Hope to see you next week instead of condemning them. But also that's where having personal relationship with God, then you don't have to worry about the flock. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about, well, I need to clarify this for all people because I am protector. Yeah. Then the flock 
have the knowledge. They are armed and they're prepared and they can all recognize the lack of God's spirit in that. And that's what it is, is when we stop viewing each other as children or sheep and view each other as brothers and sisters rising up and maturing in Christ. And then yes, addressing it, but allowing people to have this conversation, to explore it from the, for themselves and come to their own understanding and have their own testimony. This isn't right. This wasn't from the Lord, but it can't come from, well, I'm priesthood. I'm saying it's not from the Lord. Therefore take it and receive it. But to be able to question, was that from the Lord? Are there only certain parts of this? What is God revealing to me and allowing everybody to come to that own understanding? Are we allowed to make mistakes? In, in church or in a service or in a worship is it okay is it a safe place no uh, is this why we to speak honestly <laughs> no is this why we don't allow opportunities yeah because it it opens a door for we don't know what then we don't feel prepared as to a presider it. it opens a door for i don't know what might happen right. you know um is it okay for a presider to say i don't know whether that was from the lord or not you know, does anyone else have a testimony or any witness of this? I mean, that's that requires a degree of humility, mm-hmm. and it exposes the truth that we don't know it all. Just because you're in the priesthood, quote unquote priesthood, you know, because you put in an office of ministry, I'll put it that way. If you've been put in an office of ministry. Does that mean you understand all things that you always know how to handle every situation? Mm-hmm. Is it okay to be vulnerable? You know, and I feel like we've been taught from early on that that's not acceptable if well, you're in ministry. Essentially, what we're doing was trying to be loving and trying to help people avoid going down this journey. Because what if somebody says something? It's not from the Lord, and this other person receives it and goes down this and goes on this two-year journey of doubt and down this bad road quote unquote and then comes back to the truth and it's like wow that really wasn't from the lord is this trying to we're trying to save that person from it or are we trying to take their agency away and say no you can't believe that i have something to add to that and it was a revelation to me when i was reading through the book of mormon myself to see what does the book of mormon actually say i say i believe in this book what does it actually say in like mormon 10 i want to say something like that and it says know ye not that you're in the hands of god and what that means is you don't have to worry about what everyone else is doing you are only responsible for yourself and loving other people and you are not responsible if someone says something that's out of line that's between them and god and if someone else stumbles over it you pray for that person and if you were given opportunity you could share truth with them but you don't have to feel responsible because god is holding that person in their hands as he's holding you and you can have peace about that because he's their lord and savior not you and that also goes back to the scripture in genesis where it says you must taste the bitter to know the sweet everybody's journey is different and if somebody goes on a two-year you know journey where they are completely lost god will find them he'll meet them and they will have a stronger testimony because they got to go through that walk with god especially if they're alone i mean god's going to meet them he's not going to leave them by themselves. and so i think it comes with laying down pride 
having humility and trusting God that he has them Mm -hmm. and that he has us too and that he has the entire world in his hands because we know that too and stop you know judging and worrying about everybody else but what am I what's my calling what is what are my gifts what does God want from me to do in this moment like Am I supposed to give a word to someone? Am I supposed to just love them, smile at them, just send them a nice message? I mean, what is that? And then you can have peace about that because that's all you need to control is the relationship you have with God and let him lead you in that and make sure that you are following him. And if every single person does that, it is miraculous. Because then you're going to have people standing up and sharing words of the Lord all the time. And it will be almost like an orchestra of harmony of instruments. Like Mm -hmm. you stand, you play the violin, you speak this word. And at the end of that note, then someone else is led to share based off that. And all of a sudden you have this amazing sound and symphony and you're all praising God together. Mm -hmm. And that's what that looks like. Yeah, that, and that's not allowed to happen. So uh, that's the thing is we would like to think that if someone was called into some ministry, and here's the thing, we're taught like, well, we need to protect the sheep and keep someone from getting deceived or something. That's mm-hmm. where we're, we're taught that that's our responsibility. Okay, it's your responsibility if the Holy Spirit tells you that something is wrong, then your responsibility is not to do something except to ask the Lord, what it is that I need to do exactly, and how to handle the situation. Okay. So, but it isn't, it was never intended in the early church, uh, in the early Christian church and the new Testament church and in the book of Mormon, they all worked in the gifts and words of knowledge and prophecy, words of wisdom, all those things that was a part of what they had. So how powerful would it be? Cause that's exactly the, the vision that you're proposing. How powerful it is, is that whether or not the person presiding in that hour is on their game 100% or not, maybe they're not having a good day or whatever. Maybe they're not in tune as much as they need to. Or maybe the Holy Spirit wants to use someone else. Okay. And what if something happens where we're not sure what's going on there? If they're, if the body is equipped as Ephesians says, for the work of the ministry and to work in the gifts of the spirit, rather than thinking only a certain select or elect men can ever work in the gifts because that's not scriptural. Not even in the Doctrine and Covenants is that scriptural. In all three books, even though I don't really use one as much, they all say it's the membership that works in the gifts of the spirit. So discernment, revelation, prophecy, I mean, if the whole body of Christ is equipped, then all of those people sitting there together, you're going to have those who work in those gifts and it doesn't fall upon one man. I've talked about how it was a bad move when Joseph got convinced that he had to be the one that everything came through Mm -hmm. because then Boy, you just made Satan's job so much easier. Mm-hmm. I got to just take this one guy down and the whole thing goes mm-hmm. down. Okay. Same thing. And when you're presiding or if you're the priesthood, who's going to do whatever it's like, if you're, if you're it got, you know, you're going to be attacked. Uh, every, Satan's going to throw everything at you. 
And it's not just about us needing to support you and you got to be diligent. It's like it shouldn't fall on one person to do it all, to have the word. I love that scripture, and I'm going to throw it up, up top here, that Paul says, like, how is it when we come together? Every one of you has a psalm, has a word of knowledge, has a prophecy, has all these different gifts. And does he say that's not right? No, he says, yeah, let this all be done for the edification of the body. And so where is that today? I, I'm asking you, I appeal to every restorationist and every priesthood member out there, you know, where is this where when we come together, everyone, everyone in the church has been taught and grew up understanding that they have gifts and gifts of the spirit and that they can work in these and that we make room for that. And if something needs to be done, if the Lord has a word, it doesn't necessarily have to come from someone who's been scheduled that day. It could come from anyone. Um, but that I think is a scary prospect for some because we don't know what, what could happen. You know? Yeah. But this is the, the scripture. There were two things that came to my mind when Katie was, was sharing and then it was just confirmed as you're sharing. And that is the, the scripture and hopefully you throw it up there too. I'll do that. Is this works? <laughs> um, and that is the that salvation. Nobody's responsible for anybody else's salvation. Mm-hmm. That is bottom line. We need to like read that, receive that, and start doing mm-hmm. that. Is the fact of whoever's presiding or whoever's there or priesthood do not need to feel the responsibility of other people's salvation. Now, is that human to do? Absolutely. There are many times mm-hmm. where I'm not where I'm at church. Or in a class, uh, a church class, and I'm saying, and I'm standing up and I'm speaking different things, and I'm constantly asking, God, do you want me to say this? God, do you want, because I don't want to lead anybody astray. But it comes down to the, that scripture of, um, nobody's responsible for anybody else's salvation. It comes down to the scripture of when we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, but carry our load. Um, I just recently discovered this, but in the Greek, to bear each other's burdens means to empathize. It doesn't mean to take responsibility for, it means to empathize. And to carry your load means to take responsibility for what is yours. And so having those two distinctions matter. And in the English, it doesn't translate quite as well because when you say bear each other's burdens, I'm thinking take some of the load, the responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. But no, it means empathize. We can say, I'm sorry, I see where you're at and I love you. And I pray for you and I lift you up, but I recognize that I am not responsible for your salvation. We're terrified someone might get a wrong idea and then they might think the wrong thing and we gotta make sure that no one is led astray. It you know, we get this shepherd sheep mentality. Yeah. And it's very powerful. And you know, I had to I had a conversation with priesthood at our congregation probably five, six, seven years ago, and I said, Look, you guys really like the metaphor of shepherd and sheep. I said, but did you know that there's other metaphors that God uses? I mean, like that was just one example of, of something. And really he's the good shepherd and there's only one good shepherd, you know? So, but even if you want to think of yourself as a, a shepherd in some terms, that's fine. But that's just one aspect because do you realize that the sheep are also supposed to have armor and swords and they're supposed to, they're supposed to storm the gates of hell? 
I mean, so the shepherd sheep mentality only goes so far. Right. Um, but, you know, people feel that responsibility to make sure that well, we don't want anyone to be led astray. But here's my question. If someone's been in the restoration for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, okay, how is it that they are so fragile still that they might be easily deceived because someone stood up and said something that wasn't exactly right and somehow they're just going to go down this dark path and never come back again? We're so terrified. Like, why are we in a condition where we got to protect people who have been in a church for years and should be able to discern and know? Well, you I know. Th think this comes from the mentality, and this is the second part of what I wanted to share. I actually wanted to share this in our first part of the podcast, but um, I think it's so beautiful to share now. And that's the statement that God is not an all or nothing God. He's an always God. He's an always God. He's an al He always loves. He's always a good father. He always provides. Always. And when we get into scripture and we read and we read those parts where God destroyed the cities, right? In his anger, right? But let's look at it from the perspective of God is always a loving God. And the scripture that says better is, is it for one man to die than a nation to dwindle in unbelief. It's that thing of Noah building the ark for how many years? 120 years or something, constantly speaking to them and saying, get your life in order, constantly preaching, constantly being this thing of, I'm going to keep building this boat because the flood's going to come. This constant testimony of, I'm going to continue uh, for 120 years or whatever it may have been of to keep with that. But then constantly people have their own choice. They have their free agency. They can choose to turn back to the always loving God, or they continue to be where they're at. And then in God's abundant mercy and love, he allows you to receive the consequences of your choices. And then also for you not to, to lead people astray. So when we stop taking on the role of God and we recognize that God is an always God, that's it. And I'll, I'll raise my hand when I said stuff like, well, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser or I'm a perfectionist. Well, what does that mean? Because those aren't my identity. I'm a, I'm a child of God. God is my God. <laughs> and to say I'm a perfectionist means that I think that I at some point can reach a level of perfectionism or perfectness. And that's not mm -hmm. right. I mean, in every instance, and I'll, I'll be very transparent in the fact that I need to have a healthy fear of the Lord and that's not be terrified of him, but recognize he is God. I am not. And he says what is right and wrong. And I will adhere to that even when it's not convenient for me, even when I don't think it's the best, even when I think I have my own judgment, well, I'm not God. So I need to humble myself and recognize God as God. And he's an always God. I think your question comes back to fear and feeling like, and maybe you can speak to this. I'm not a priesthood member, obviously. It never happened. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's because they feel like they're going to be held responsible when they see God. And they don't want to feel like they're going to be held responsible, which is a lie, by the way. Mm -hmm. That's not... I've never read that in scripture, that you are responsible for someone else's sin. Actually, I have heard that a lot. 
And I thought that that was scripture. I mean, it was spoke of so much that I thought it was scripture that priesthood would be held to a higher standard. And because if you lead somebody astray, yeah, that person may have to take responsibility for it. But because it was your it was your job and you're responsible for leading them astray, you're going to receive that punishment. I mean, we definitely you're responsible for how you impact other people. You know, if you hurt someone, uh, if you dry them off, if you're harsh with them we're gonna we're gonna have to answer that uh if you are lying to someone if you are if you are leading them astray we'll have to answer for that yeah but it's not on the burden of anyone to be responsible for someone else what they believe their salvation or what someone else has said to that so you can't control everything and the more you try to control it the the less of god is in it Mm -hmm. and here's the thing that to me yeah, I found out that uh, there was a guy that well, I just didn't get along with in our church for years. And uh, he is a, a good man. Um, and I came to love him deeply. And uh, he got free of a lot of this. So I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, in fact, he's not with us anymore. But, you know, it was uh, he, him and I would butt heads all the time because it was like the worst thing in the world that he could ever imagine happening in church is that somehow... A mistake is made that is the worst possible thing and I and I told him brother I said some of the best lessons I've ever learned were because of mistakes and in fact I said don't you understand God knows everything that we're gonna do he all has already seen it you've you've already made every mistake and in eternity he's already seen it and there's a plan for it all and it's like it's almost ordained sometimes that like we're if you're a human being, you're going to have to make some mistakes. It's not that we should intentionally try to make a mistake. You try to avoid them, but they're unavoidable. It must occasionally happen. We must be free of the prison, and, that prison. Yeah, and God knowing the mistakes that we will make, not that we might, that we are going to make, and he knows when they're coming and why. He has a plan. We need to trust in him. And he will lead people where he needs to. Yes, we all have agency. It could be possible for someone to just walk away. But is that the end? We can't judge that. Right. You know, he's he's got them in his hand. You know, I, when Jesus said, Father, all those you place in my hand, I, will not, I, I won't lose any of them. He already knows. He already knows who's gonna, who is his and they're going to make it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing Satan can't even take them away. Nobody can take them away. Nothing can take you out of the hand of God. And yet, sometimes I think we get that feeling of we need to control things because what if this happened? And you know, <sighs> well, let's let's go on that journey. Let's say I myself will use me as an example. I say something that leads somebody astray and it leads them down a very dark path, right? I am, it, and it caused them a lot of torment. And then God reveals to me, like, hey, you remember when you said that? What's caused that person person a lot of torment? Like, I, I, it's been maybe a couple of years. I have come to. A repentant have a repentant heart and God reveals that to me and I ask forgiveness for that yeah. and then I go and I reach out to that person and I apologize for my behavior and I say I was very wrong in this and I am open with them now it's on them what do you want to do with this do you want to continue in either hurt or believing this wrong thing when I myself am saying God revealed it was wrong that's their responsibility. I'm not in charge of their salvation. But it's the fact of God revealed to me, I've done something wrong. I have repented of it. 
And through God's prompting, I have done the best to remedy the situation, but understanding that it is not my responsibility, that I have done everything with that I am called to do. I mean, that's, that's the journey. I don't know about you guys, but any time in church, which is, was rare, but a handful of times I would see priesthood be humble and practice humility Absolutely. in front of the group and actually publicly apologize and they're in tears and I'm basically in tears because I feel their heart yeah. and I'm connected to them. And I'm like, this is when we connect is we're in that lowly place of humility and we accept each other. And as awful as that would be, but you know, at the same time, you're not responsible for the journey they went on, but you are responsible for seeking them out and apologizing. But what an amazing testimony that that person would now have this person wronged me, but the humility they showed, and now I can heal. And now God has the opportunity to heal that part of them. So it's like he always works things for your good, always. Um, even the bad things, but the important thing is to just remember, God help me to keep a humble heart and a soft heart and help me not be prideful because that's when Satan enters in. And we don't want that because that's mm -hmm. the fall of the church is the pride and the fear and the solution is faith and trust God and love. And we're not doing that. And on an individual level is where it begins because we can't control the body and we're not supposed to, but we can start here with our own hearts mm -hmm. and our own walk with God and be directed and be an example. And that's how it starts. I, I, love what you what you say and I want to add to um, the fact that humility doesn't mean making yourself less than it means making yourself less than what you thought you were well, <laughs> if that if that makes laying sense. down pride it pride there's a pride sandwich and the pride sandwich is pride humility and the fear of the Lord are essentially the same thing humility is saying God you are God and this is what you've created for me. And in humility, I will take up the space that you've given me, my God-given space. Pride is stepping outside of that and taking up more and taking up more responsibility and saying, well, their, that person's salvation is on me. No, that was on Christ. He died on the cross for their salvation and they can choose to take up their cross and follow him. And then there's pride of saying, well, I really screwed that up. And you can go the opposite way of, well, then I just need to be meek and quiet and I need to, that's pride too. It's also, pride is just saying, I know better than God. Humility is saying, God, you are God and I will adhere to your, you. And so just to clarify that, because oftentimes I hear this whole thing, well, we need to be poor. We need to be lowly of spirit. We need to do this. And it's like this thing of like shrinking back and being less than and not speaking. And it's. No, that's, that's wrong too. God doesn't want, like, there are times to have the meekness and softness of sheep and there's times to be the armor of God. And there is a perfect balance there that only God knows how to accomplish of how can I make my children warriors for the kingdom of heaven, but also keep them humble. I mean, that's and the so thing. they're not prideful. It's the sheep in armor. It's the, my children in armor. It's that's the balance. The when you talked about a moment where a priesthood member is confessing uh, that they 
they were wrong, that they did wrong, or in, in humility, that's a powerful, powerful moment. Like the Holy Spirit really lighted on that. And I just want to, I want to share with that because let's, con what if we continue that humility, not just when we make a mistake that we humbly confess we were wrong. What if we are, we just extend that into every branch of any ministry in the church, you know, and what if instead of saying, I've got the answers, I'm here to tell you the answers, listen to me. What if it is, you know what, I don't have all the answers. We've been at this for a lot of years. Um, we've made some gains here and there, but we've made a lot of mistakes. We're not really where we want to be. We can look at the scriptures and see that we're not, you know, where we want to be and where God has called us up to. And just confess that, like, I don't have the power or the wisdom or the knowledge to instruct you on how to get there. But I know that the answers are in the scriptures and by the voice of his spirit. And so how about this attitude? We're all in this together. We're in this together. And I know God has given each and every one of you certain gifts. And some of you have gifts I don't have. And we need each other. And let's all petition the Lord together. Let's share uh, together the things that the Lord shares with us. Let's put the, our pieces of the puzzle together. What if that is the approach? Is that the approach we need? I had an epiphany as you were speaking. And I have been feeling bad because, you know, oftentimes priesthood comes up because priesthood is put in that front line, mm -hmm. the, the stage. They're put on a stage, literally and phys physically or um, figuratively. There we go. They're put on a stage. And so it's very easy to point a finger at them. And so we're talking about coming into humility and bringing that back into mm -hmm. a, I will take up my God-given space. Yeah. I don't have all the answers. God has the answers. Here's just what I mentioned of pride being taking up more than your space and taking up less than your space. We're talking about generally priesthood being men, right? So we're talking about the ministry of men here, and I'm not talking priesthood. I'm talking about men in general, their ministry that they bring, and coming back into a place of humility. But it goes to women as well, because mm -hmm. now women have made themselves less than. And I have a heart for this and a passion because I want to hear from my sisters. I feel this missing. I want maternal um, leadership. I want sister fellowship. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to do those things and walk in those ways, too. Yeah. But that's where it's women need to humble themselves again. And say, instead of, well, I am nothing and I have nothing to contribute and I need to be silent, that's pride too. Saying, I have nothing to share and everything that God's given me, well, that doesn't matter and it, we don't need it. And women too, the ministry we hold, we need to come back into humility and take up our God-given space. Yeah, there's a parable about the talents. Remember that? Mm -hmm. He gave one, one talent and all that. If you're a woman, how do you use your talents? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I, in the church, it just hit me because I feel like in some ways, yeah, people, okay, so we can go to like, when you're a homemaker, you raise children, we can do that. That's great. But in the church, yes, in the body of Christ, how do you use your talents? And it seems like we're, we may be, we have been in a culture where 
you are told to bury them. Right. It's okay if you can play piano or maybe a few other little things, but in terms of what about the gifts of the spirit that you're given? So I asked you guys a question about whether you've seen you know, certain things. I would like to answer that because I'm about 200 years older than you guys, I think. No. Um, okay, 175. Um, no. So I've had a lot of experiences. I, mean, I was in the church before it fell apart. Um, I was, I've had a lot of different experiences like that. I have seen priesthood, um, ministry. I've seen offices of ministry and men who were humble. I've never seen it among a proud man. I've seen the fake kind of gifts through proud men and it's kind of icky it's sort of like ghostbusters it's like you've been slimed <laughs> and you may have had that you may have had that yeah. experience yes. um yeah but i've seen true humble men my grandfather was one but i've seen many true humble men over the years that when the spirit is upon them and like i've seen gifts flow through but here's the thing <laughs> I have just as much as any priesthood, I have seen the gifts flow through non-priesthood. I have seen gifts flow through women and they're not even recognized as such. And I think part of it was even the person giving the gift because of the culture that we were in felt like, well, I can't, this isn't this isn't the Lord speaking. And yet it was the Lord speaking. I recognized it was the Lord speaking. And if someone were to suggest him like, Oh no, no, no. I'm just, I just felt like I should share this little thing. I'm like, yes, this is how the Lord speaks. You know, it, I've seen powerful gifts come through women, but if there isn't an opportunity for that to happen, uh, then we're in trouble because we're not going to get through this thing with just certain people being, in control of everything we're it's we're all in this together every one of us is supposed to wield the sword of the word every single one of us has a shield we have armor we are supposed to be equipped we're all of us supposed to be working in the gifts and so i'm looking forward to the in particular the gifts that women show forth they're the same spiritual gifts that men have but i think there's there is a a uniqueness to how they come through women versus men sometimes in particular discernment and I really think uh, I, you guys tell me what you believe about this this is just my feeling and I feel like you guys would know better than me um, when God made man in his image men and women that's literally what Genesis says when he took from Adam and made woman he took some of the qualities of God from Adam and put them in women. And so I have noticed that although both male and female can exercise discernment, um, I have noticed that it seems to be a propensity in women to have discernment far more often or even almost organically as if it's intuitive and a, a part of their nature to have a certain degree of uh, discernment. Whereas men have to fight for it a little bit. Like not every person among men has discernment. I almost feel like almost every woman, I don't, I almost think I have never met a woman who didn't have a degree of discernment almost from birth. 
Is that crazy? Is that a crazy thought? Because I can't prove this. I can't pull scripture out. Well, we chalk it up as the term of women's intuition. Women's intuition. So back in Genesis, we also say, God says, yeah, I'll make you help me because it's not good for man to be alone. And yet we want to be like, ah, women. Yeah. Right? Like, (laughs) we can't have both here. Right? It's not good for men to be alone. There is that thing of um, Andrew, my husband, was watching this one thing where um, they're given to each other because men want to go do one thing and then women sometimes come along. And it's kind of that pressure of steadying so you have better aim. Yeah. Of that it's not a force against, it's a support. So you're not so shaky. And it's a vice versa thing too. It's so you're not so shaky. Yeah. So you have better aim. And so we kind of push up on each other. And it's iron. And I don't know if you want to say iron chopping iron. But it's it's the fact that we complement each other. Male half of discernment. Female half of discernment coming together. And then you have maybe better. He, maybe he sees certain aspects of something that you might have missed. Oh, yeah. And you see aspects of a situation that he's missed. Together you both get the answer. So yeah. much of what I've gone through and the traumas that I've said or experienced in the tr- church is dismissal. You are dismissed. Your opinions dismissed. What you have to share is dismissed. You yourself are. It's, it's Scripture has been used as a way to dismiss me. And so oftentimes I get a little feisty because, you know, God made me have big passions. And... I don't believe that. <laughs> uh, well, you can talk to Andrew um, and bless that man. So sometimes I discount him in my traumas. And that's where he can come back and be like, hey, you're not listening to me. And then we can come back to a soft place. And then I am perfected because of the Christ in him. And it's a vice versa thing. There are moments where I can be part of his perfecting because of the Christ that's in me. Yeah. Well, I know my, my wife, Jennifer, has a greater degree of discernment than I do. If I am really in tune with the Spirit, I can have a degree of discernment, and sometimes it's good. Um, she is very often very much in tune, almost naturally. Um, and she will see things sometimes when I'm blindsided because I'm too busy trying to do whatever I'm doing. Um, but also, I, I want to mention that that doesn't mean that women can't be wrong in their discernment. I have seen discernment way off on women. And when, when it happens to them, a lot of times it's similar to how it happens with men. And that is when your tradition gets in the way, how you've been taught, how you believe about something. When that gets confronted, it gets confusing. That's where discernment gets confusing because it, you... People don't realize they think they're discerning something, but what it really is is that they're just disturbed that something is different than what they're used to. Self-righteousness, too, can be chalked up in that. Sure. I mean, we all have our sins, and so that always stands in the way of the gifting, just to, to say that. I would say, in my experience, women typically see to the heart of a matter. Mm-hmm. Um, they can see all of the outward things and just see right to the heart. And just know what the heart of something is. That all of the stuff that you're seeing isn't really it. Yeah. So I think women's discernment often goes much deeper. Which is kind of what you're saying. Goes to the heart. Mm -hmm. To me that's some of the best discernment you can possibly have. Here's, I'll give you an example. And I've literally seen this happen. I've seen men's discernment go just so deep. And where they can go is, that's wrong. That's, you got a bad spirit or whatever, and that's of the devil or whatever it is. They can feel something's wrong, 
but they don't know why it's wrong. They just know it's wrong. Okay. Then where I see women's discernment is they will discern what's going on with that person right now that they're doing this or saying this or whatever is going on. They can detect those things like insecurity, um, pain. You know, this person's been hurt before. There's a reason why they're where they're at. And, and that's why a lot of times in women's ministry, because the way that they use those gifts, when it goes to the heart of things, yes. is goes to the healing mm-hmm. and the reconciliation, which is sorely missing in the restoration. We just write each other off and that's an end of it. And we're told we're too sensitive. Yeah. That it, getting to the heart of things is definitely the key phrase in that it's the fact of oftentimes whatever somebody's saying is not the real extent of what they're actually conveying. But when it comes to a gift of discernment, being too sensitive is exactly what we need. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. You're too sensitive. It's like, oh, yeah, we need a duller instrument. Well, that. Actually, I've been thinking about this a lot. Again, saying somebody's too sensitive is a way of dismissing them. Mm-hmm. But my question is, is aren't we supposed to love each other? And if somebody is being, quote unquote, too sensitive, why aren't we making room for them? Why aren't yep. we loving them? Why are maybe we saying, you need to come to me. You're too sensitive. You're saying this about somebody else. You are doing this. Therefore, you need to get your act together and come back to my level. Yep. Instead of meeting them at their level and saying, I love you. Something's happening. And that's what women do is we meet, try to, most times I would say, meet people where they're at, at their level. And men oftentimes are like, well, I don't understand this, so come up to me so I can understand. Here's here's what I see with men, uh, is they have a tendency to want to nip something in the bud. You know, like something's not right, we need to take care immediately. Snip it out, it's like cancer, it'll grow. And that's how they deal with things. And, And the female side of the gifting is usually like, give it some time. Don't rush in, you know. I think women have learned by just watching the crazy things their husbands do and their children do. They've learned to go into secret prayer and like go to work on something and let God step in and intervene rather than you feeling like you have to immediately do something about it. We, we've been talking a lot lately about men. We, I mean, we both have boys mm-hmm. of watching them just act. Mm-hmm. or react and not have any concept of the consequences of their action. Yeah. No filter? No. Well, it's not just no filter. No it's follow through. It's no follow through. Something. I'm going to eat this meal. I'm full. I'm leaving to go do something else. Well, mm-hmm. then mom's in the kitchen like, I just worked super hard making this meal yeah. and you ate it and complained <laughs> about stuff because it wasn't exactly what you wanted. And then you left and now there's dirty dishes. It's the the action of consuming, but then not saying or realizing, hey, there's dirty dishes here. Because I'm eating, I have caused dirty dishes, and then I can clean those up. Mm -hmm. But instead, somebody, consequences are neither positive nor negative. We pass judgment on them. But there's always a consequence. When you follow Christ, the consequence is eternal life. Right? Yeah. And so it's the thing of men oftentimes have the action with no concept of the consequence. Is there any, uh, I want to give this moment, is there something the Lord has put on, I'm going to ask each of you, put on your heart specifically that you feel 
we should talk about or that you want to share or any, right at this time? I, I can't help but always think of the children because I love them so dearly and God has given me such a gift for loving them. And I always think about, okay, so we've discussed how men and women have suffered, but we haven't talked about the children uh, yeah. and how they're just made to come sit at a service and be quiet and play in the floor. And, um, maybe you'll get to go to Sunday school and learn something about Jesus. And then you just have to sit and listen to the sermon. And then we wonder when they become 18, why aren't you coming back to church? Yeah. And they're bored as can be. They'd want to leave. They don't have any idea what's going on. Their moms aren't allowed to speak. Maybe their dad, if they're not priesthood, it's all whoever is up front. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they come with that authority. They're afraid of them. Mm -hmm. Children are afraid of that authority figure because that's not a safe place. And um, sometimes I've seen this where they'll invite the children up front to like maybe they have a Sunday school song to sing or something. And they're afraid because they don't feel comfortable. They don't, they don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we expect them to just go feel safe when they've never been made to feel safe before. We as adults have never provided the atmosphere or environment in which they can feel safe to share. Yeah. And so when I was reading the Book of Mormon, the thing that stuck out or stood out to me so strongly when Jesus came was um, how he asked them to bring their children you know, and he wanted to bless them and he did bless them. And he was like, behold your little ones. And when I read that, you know, it's just tears. I'm just, this is so beautiful. And, and then it says that, you know, they had the gifts, then they were speaking words yeah. of God and, and how much Jesus loved them. And then even the angels that came and ministered, it said were uh, men, women, and children and how amazing that is. And I think okay, well, this is when Jesus was here and this is what that looked like is that the men, women, and children spoke yeah. and God worked through all of them, not just men and women, but the children too. And that they should also be, and I know my children, they have words from the Lord, but they don't feel safe to share. And, um, so my, in my mind, what I'm envisioning is the day when they feel that they can be received, be safe to share whatever God has given them and that they will be loved through it and that it will be received and that people will, you know, it will, it will be a unity that we've never seen in the church and it will be an outpouring of love. And I so look forward to this because I really envision it's going to look a lot like that moment with Jesus, um, that he'll be in our midst. And we will all speak and we will all worship and we'll celebrate him and that we're all on this path together. And so that's what I'm looking forward to is the ministry of children coming forth because mm -hmm. these things of priesthood oppression and that stuff has been laid down. And I guess I can go here. So um, what started for me was I'm asking God like, okay, God, I'm a woman in this church and I feel like I don't fit in. Um, I can sing sometimes, but that's really, I don't feel safe there either. So I'm usually really nervous to do that. Um, but God, where do I fit in here? And so I began drawing a Trinity and I, and I wrote God at the top and then I had 
okay, what do I know about church? And it was, well, I'm going to put priesthood on the left. And that's um, what I was thinking would be men. And then I'm like, what does that make women? And then I'm like, wait, what about non-priesthood men? And I'm like, hold up. This doesn't make any sense. Because if we are truly made in God's image, male and female, if there's priesthood truly, then there will be a balance with the female. What is that? It doesn't, I mean, I saw it, I looked, I looked at the scriptures, I got nothing. And I was just frustrated. I'm like, God, what is this? Like, I, I got nothing and I'm not getting anything at church. And I just really knew something was wrong with priesthood in general, but I didn't know what until, um, I heard your podcast about priesthood and it just, it was just like, yes, this is exactly why this Trinity that I was trying to draw with, um, you know, God, men and women, it didn't fit with God priesthood and what it was because that was never the intent. It's, you know, God, men and women, and we have our gifts of whatever that is that God gave us individually. And that priesthood needs, and hopefully you feel led to share this, but, um, hint, hint, jab, jab. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know where I'm going with this? Yes. Okay. Going with that. So I'll let you take over. So yes, the Trinity is given as this example of you have God, you have Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit. And in marriage, I've often seen and given the comparison, you have God, you have husband, you have wife. And then applying it with what you were receiving, we have God, we have priesthood, what? Wait a minute, question mark, huge question mark. What is ministry of men, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's not priesthood, but then what is the counter of women and what is this? But if we summarize it in, because priesthood leaves out so many men. Mm -hmm. So then if we say ministry of men that is outside of priesthood, that doesn't include priesthood. It's just, it's just men in general have a ministry they bring because God ordained it. God ordained everybody to have a ministry. So we'll just say ministry of men, then you have ministry of women. But then when I looked at it and I about, I got this epiphany in the shower and I about fell over and had a concussion and had to go to the hospital because I was so excited. I'm like, oh my goodness, this makes so much sense. And I was, <laughs> it was a moment. <laughs> But it was the fact that when you look at the Trinity and you see God, you see Jesus, you see the Spirit, and then if you go God, Adam, Eve, well then here's the symbology. You have God, you have Jesus. Jesus died, sacrificed, lost something of himself, and then left the Holy Spirit as a comforter. Came back and left, was, was raised up, conquered death, and then left the Holy Spirit as comforter. And then you have God, you have Adam wanting a companion, lost something of himself, and there was Eve. And it's in scripture when it's like um, for husband and wife, it's God, it's husbands, leave your father and mother, and the two become one. It doesn't say women leave your father and mother. It says men leave your father and mother because you have to lose something men it was constantly the symbology in every instance of men losing something of themselves and gaining something and something else being given for for some for the benefit of all mm. or you say in the scriptures where it's like men lay down your lives for your wives even as Christ laid down his life for the church it's i mean God already gave the comparison there mm -hmm. in scripture 
And so it's right there. So then it's like the, you have the ministry of men. What are you needing to sacrifice for allowing room for the ministry of women? Because God has a seat at the table. Um, the thing I was that was really impressed on me is recently I saw this thing. It was given by non-denominational. It was like a Facebook short or real. And it was, say, these two husbands, these two men, and they were sharing about how men need to lead their, lead their families. And it was, they had done the study of if a man comes to relation, let's say the whole family doesn't have relationship with God, right? And a man goes to church, follows Christ, gets baptized. His family has a 91%, it was something like that, 91% chance of following with that. The entire family being saved. The man gets saved. 91% of the time, the entire family is getting saved. The wife goes to church. She gets saved. There's a 19% chance the entire family gets saved. And then they went into children. Children go to church and get saved. There's only an 8% chance the rest of the family gets saved. And they talked about it as in there's a huge responsibility on men to lead the family. And there is. But part of that responsibility is sacrificing of yourself to provide room for what your wife is saying. It's the discernment. It's the helping one another steady ourselves so we have better aim. It's this coming together. And then it's the, as you have both of them represented, ministry of men, ministry of women, husband, wife, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, as you have them, we are all raising up to come closer to God together. I just read into that, that men were more stubborn. <laughs> my takeaway. <laughs> it is the discounting of the voice of women and particularly children. <clears throat> uh, that whole thing with the, the triangle, uh, which we have still sitting at our church on the whiteboard. From and, December? Yeah. <laughs> and, October. And, and we're back, I think. <laughs> we had a little internet problem. Um, so anyway... As I was saying, uh, we do have this drawing to sit in our church that uh, Katie, you drew, right? Mm -hmm. so, anyway, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then and then God, <clears throat> husband, wife, and the children in the center of this triangle. And what you were just talking about, I mean, this, where you went with this is profoundly deep. Like, we probably should have just ended the podcast right there <laughs> with these two parts where husband is supposed to be like Jesus. I mean, that's literally something Paul says. But here's something that we don't talk about. Like the female half is the Holy Spirit half. And to me, that explains a lot of things. So, you know, we're trying to, you know, the Lord is revealing things to you about how things work. And suddenly you can't figure out where to put the priesthood or non-priesthood men. That doesn't fit in this. Well, there's a reason why it doesn't fit in there. Because uh, that priesthood doesn't exist in the new covenant. It's as simple as that. So uh, I've been working on, and it's going to come out probably after this podcast. It'll just be a, kind of a follow-up on the priesthood thing. And, you know, the thing is, I've had a few people try to confront me about this. You know, you, you know, you don't believe in the priesthood. Actually, I do. I believe in the priesthood. I believe in the true priesthood. The priesthood that was given under the new covenant. And... That priesthood is to all believers, okay? And how that happens is that the last high priest, the one that all the priests before were pointing to, he abides in us by the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
that's him. He says, if I abide in you and you abide in me, then, you know, you can do these good works. But without me, you can do nothing. Well, is that only for men? It isn't. We know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to women. So that means men and women both have the high priest, and therefore the high priesthood abiding in them because Christ carries it. Um, when we move in the spirit and move out according to the instruction of the Holy Spirit, we are walking in priesthood. That's as simple as that. You talked about men in a servant role that they have to sacrifice. That's part of how God has created them. It's one of the differences between men and women. They're both equal, but they are different. This is why we have offices of ministry in the church because in the best way I can picture it is, I believe the Holy Spirit showed this to me. Imagine that we're all sitting down at the feast, at the table, at God's table as children of God, men and women, right? And we're being, we're feasting upon the good things of God, whether it's the gifts of the spirit, the fruits of the spirit, all the, all, and just the things of the kingdom that he gives us and peace and joy and love and all that kind of stuff. And we're feasting upon this. We're all equals in this and we all have different gifts and ministry in there. Okay. And yet because everyone that's in the household of God is a child of God and he employs no servants, right? That's what he says. I employ no servants. So we realize that we need someone to serve. And, and so the Lord says, would you be willing to make a sacrifice? What's that sacrifice? Step away from the table occasionally. You don't, you still get to eat too, but we're going to ask you to step away from the banquet and go put on a servant's robe and act as a servant. And the reason why we have that is it's expressed in Ephesians. It's very clear. And the point of that is that God will occasionally do that so that we can equip everyone to come up to that same full stature of Christ. Everyone, it says, equipping the whole body for the work of the ministry until we all come into the full stature of Christ. And that is what that is. Is that a priesthood? Yes, but it's also part of the same priesthood that we all partake of but it is an additional servant role. That's part of why men are called into that. Uh, but both male and female have the priesthood. This is why we don't see priesthood mentioned after Christ comes. You know, what I'm getting at on here is that, uh, yes, men are called to offices of ministry. Uh, this is in the scriptures, it's in the Book of Mormon, it's in the Bible, they didn't call it priesthood. They did talk about how the priesthood was changed. There was a change in the priesthood, okay? And so, but that priesthood was done away with. Now there's a change. And the change is that we all have Christ dwelling in us. That is, makes us a part of the royal priesthood that Peter talks about. And this is why we read and why Jesus said that these signs will follow all those who believe. Um, and so what are we, you know, ultimately what are we asking of priesthood men right now? Um, or what I am asking for, I'm putting a question out. Is it possible for us to re-examine this notion of priesthood as we've been taught it? Okay. And go back to the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Those are the two books that God gave us to fix our problems. And we quickly got away from it. In fact, the whole church said it was under condemnation because we treated it lightly. So what if we go back? Let's forget everything we think we know. 
we go back and see what it actually says. Okay. And the question I'm putting forward to my fellow man is, can we come to a point where we can lay that down, that version of priesthood and take up the true priesthood? And if we take up the priesthood, instead of having this, well, they're the priesthood, instead we recognize we're a part of this greater priesthood, the royal priesthood, then that allows for the rest of the body of Christ to rise up into its ministry. And we can work together, both those who are called into servant roles and those who are, you know, ministering in all different various ways in the church and to one another. That's where I think we are headed. I know we're getting very low on battery, so we could get cut off at any time. But we'll we'll try to close this out, I guess. We, we went in a completely different direction than we were mm -hmm. planning to go. But... Um, you know, the Lord told me just very distinctly, I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone. He's trying to give us something. He's trying to give us something better. He doesn't want to take the priesthood away from us. He just wants to take our wrong notion about priesthood and make us understand what he actually intended. Because there's so much more power in it that even those people who don't have the Book of Mormon and and lack understanding of Christianity are already walking in greater power than we are. Yeah, there's a lot of fakery out there, but I have seen a lot of genuine. And there's genuine right here in Kansas City that men who are walking in the spirit of God and with prophecy and revelation, more powerful, it puts us to shame in the restoration. And God doesn't want us to be put to shame. Uh, he's preserving us. He wants to bring us out, come out of her, my people. He has a role for us. Bob Jones, uh, a prophet uh, that's not a restorationist, he got a good word about our LDS people, for example, at one time. He said they're going to be like the wine bearer, the cup bearer uh, that was in the prison, and uh, that he's going to be restored to Pharaoh. Remember, the baker was, uh, his head was cut off, but the wine cup bearer, he was restored. And he actually told Christian people, Hey, you're going to be surprised when you find out what God does with these RLDS people. And I think probably actually what he was seeing was, and that was because there's RLDS people all around them at that point. But I think he was probably seeing restoration people, LDS, RLDS, that God has a place for them and he's going to restore them. And so we have a place to go. We, we have something far greater than the church age. We have the kingdom age to look forward to. We move away from all the doings of the church and, and church mentality, and we move to Christ, you know, away from focusing on church and on ourselves and on our authority and move to Christ. And he has something greater for us. Any last words before we get shut off? <laughs> um, I'll just add that we both had a confirming testimony about um, women being likened unto the Holy Spirit. Like we were asking God, um, what does the ministry of men look like in scripture? And what does the ministry of women look like in scripture? And we were given um, the ministry of men is likened unto Jesus, whereas the women are likened unto the Holy Spirit. And it's that comforter, the record keepers, the record of heaven. Um, women kind of remember things <laughs> sometimes. But, um, but when you look at that, it really, and it's not that women are also supposed to be like, you know, Jesus or that men aren't ever like the Holy Spirit, but it's kind of like this 
um, grander scale of things. We are more internal as women. The Holy Spirit is internal. It's more in touch with our heart. We are more in touch with people's hearts than in the external. Um, Jesus was physical. He laid down his life. Um, men are very physical. You know, they call to be sacrificial and yeah. they're supposed to be protectors. Um, so there's very, there's a lot of similarities because I was asking God, what does my ministry look like? Especially in scripture, because surely there's other women in here. And I didn't really get anything other than that, that it's likened unto the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how it's internal, it's comforting, it's life-giving as the Holy Spirit um, was the life giver for Jesus. Um, it's very much that way. And that once we begin to understand that, we can have confidence in that. And not as a pride thing, but as that's who God created us to be, um, is comforting and loving and kind and good. Amen. Uh, to me, I, this is what we've touched on here is so much depth to it. We could talk about this for hours. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just a lifetime of revelation that could be received and understanding on this. If we would let go of the past and our own understanding, our own wisdom, and just ask the Lord, like, where does this go from here? And is this true? You know, and what does that mean? It's powerful. It is extremely powerful. So I don't know if there's going to be a part two to this one or not, but... <laughs> <laughs> or if this is where we stop it, maybe you guys take it from here. But uh, in any case, um, before we get shut off, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Lauren. Um, thank you, I'm sure this won't be the end of of this. Uh, let's just be the end of it for now. So until next time, God bless. God bless.